also brought to you by the Boatyard in Fort Lauderdale. Eat local, but stay coastal at the Boatyard Restaurant. The Boatyard is located at 1555 Southeast 17th Street in Fort Lauderdale. That means you can come by boat or you can come by car. Enjoy the nautical atmosphere whether you sit inside in the cold AC or outside on the patio bar. The Boatyard has something for everyone. Monday through Friday, happy hour. Where local favorite is bar bites and handcrafted cocktails. Open for lunch, dinner, and the popular Sunday brunch. And don't forget, ladies night. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. where ladies drink free. Dock and dine at the famous Boatyard in Fort Lauderdale. I am sure you'll have a great experience. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. I got Chet, Walter, Chet Walters in the studio tonight. And um, it's not from that movie. Beverly Hills Ninja. It's not from Beverly Hills Ninja. But same name. And I'm um, glad to have him. Um, met Chet through the uh, Waypoint program. And um, it's been a uh, lot of help. And... Um, it's good to have you here in the Lunker Dog Studios. Yeah, Jeff, man, appreciate it down here in Fort Lauderdale in the uh, Lunker Dog uh, piece of paradise. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty neat. Now, is this your first time to Fort Lauderdale? It's not. It's not my first time to Fort Lauderdale, but uh, thanks to you, we just got a nice little tour of uh, of the local areas. So I will say it's my first time to the local Fort Lauderdale. First time you did the loop. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I took I took Chet on the um, Fort Lauderdale loop. I wanted to show him the new river, the intercoastal, the beach, the boats, and um, about a three mile ride. And I think once people see that, it's really a lot easier for them to understand um, what real Fort Lauderdale was always about and is about. Um, you know, the boats, the beaches, the fishing, and um, like Chet said, it's um, it's our own little piece of paradise. Now, what brings you down to Fort Lauderdale? Yeah, so uh, I'm down here this weekend uh, for a, a college all a college football all star bowl game. Um, so it's a it's an organization that helps guys who are finishing their college career that uh, that want to go try to play at another level. Um, it tries to help them showcase their abilities in front of scouts. Okay. So NFL, CFL, um, uh, pro fo- pro football is huge in Europe now. So there's a lot of different programs, a lot of different teams. So uh, international scouts. So it's kind of it, it brings guys together from all around the country, all different size schools, um, for a weekend of learning and development and showcasing their abilities. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Yeah, I think um, I think football um, is well overdue um, for what you guys are doing. It's funny because you know once you finish football. You know, as a collegiate football player, you know, you kind of walk out the door and there's really no place to go. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of now what stories. Right. Right. There's a lot of now what stories and whether that hits you in when you're done in high school or you're done in college or you get the opportunity to play pro at some point. There's always going to be a time where the question is now what? Right. Um some of those guys are fortunate to to have that at 40 or like a guy like Tom Brady's 43 right I mean so some sometimes that question comes earlier but the now what question is always there and I think uh football the football community as a whole is doing a much better job now to try to help answer that question for those guys um because there's a bad road that you can take when you don't know the answer to that question yeah I bet I bet now um 
You played football um, for how long? I did. So, I mean, I played football my entire youth growing up all the way through high school and then one year of college. Okay. Um, so till I was 19, 20. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And where did you play? So one year of college was Southeast Missouri State Southeast University. Southeast Missouri State, all right. Yeah, just south of St. Louis. I uh, was there for one year, and then uh, and that was it. And then I transferred out and started coaching. Okay. And um, where did the uh, coaching take you? So uh, the, the cool thing was that uh, I always, like growing up, I always wanted to be a football coach. Like that was – like when video games like the madden games and stuff like that i was more interested in how the play worked and how you were calling the play like i was just always interested in the coaching part so i'm five nine nothing i knew that i was never going to be some you know elite player i worked my butt off but um coaching was always in the vision so after doing that one year at southeast missouri state um I transferred home to a school, and I actually went back and coached at my my high school for a year Mm -hmm. and learned a little bit more from my old coaches. And and at that time, as a young, you know, 20, 21-year-old, I thought that I knew everything. Sure, sure. So so then I was like, okay, high school is a joke. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go coach in college. Well, that's not how it works. (laughs) Just just like anything else, you got to put your dues in. Right. Right. So – Anyway, I coached uh, one or two more years at, at my old high school, and then um, fortunately, I did get an opportunity to be a uh, what's called like a graduate assistant or a quality control coach at the University of Delaware. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that, and then coached in high school in Florida for for uh, a couple years, different co- different high schools, and and now I'm kind of freelance consultant camps, uh, all star games, and private training. Pretty cool. You know, years ago when I played football at University of Connecticut, Delaware was in our conference. Mm-hmm. We were in the Yankee Conference back then. And, um, Long time ago. Yeah, the Blue Hens. <laughs> and I remember, I remember, um, I didn't know who the Blue Hens were until they actually came to UConn and walked out on the field. And they had the helmets that looked like Michigan. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I'm a redshirt freshman. You know, I'm trying to digest it all. And these big dudes are running by me. I think it was the first game we ever played was against Delaware. And they got those helmets on. And I'm just like, wow, I'm really in college now, Mm. you know. Because, you know, you go into summer camp and you get pretty immune to the guys you're practicing with and stuff. And that was my first look, you know, face-to-face with an opponent in the college system and i was floored i was really taken back and it was it was delaware i'll never forget that that's awesome yeah i mean you let, let alone the 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 michigan helmet style but like you see somebody in a different color jersey after three four weeks of of beating up on your own guys it's like okay this is the real deal now yeah yeah pretty 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 cool pretty cool now um i don't know i would like to think that uh down here in south florida it's probably like the mecca Broward County, I mean, when you talk about Broward County, people are, every single college football coach knows Broward County. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what level, Division One, Division Three, it does not matter. Everybody knows that there are absolute dudes that come out of this area. Yeah, no, it was, um, I think it, it's, it's always been known. I think um, Schnellenberger is the one that really popped the uh, cap off of it down here, coming down here and and bringing the University of Miami to where it was. But when he when he recruited down here, um, 90% of the dudes on the University of Miami were from, you know, basically from Palm Beach to Miami. And they didn't even, like, you know, leave the Tri-County area. And those players 
people that you know recognize them and know them now as they're being inducted into the hall of fame and all that but yeah uh, i always told everybody that um south florida football is totally different than the rest of the country and um i'll give you a good example of that like growing up here in the 80s um you go to a football game and yeah you'd have the star you know receivers and running backs and quarterbacks and those guys were you know they were cool but they weren't near as cool as the free safety or the linebacker <laughs> that would thump your ass right you know what i mean and when when the uh when the games would go on down here is yeah the points were scored and, and the guys would get momentum and stuff but what really brought the intensity level up was the contact oh no doubt and the contact that um that the guys thrived on down here in South Florida was unlike any place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That physical just beat you up um, like the Marshawn, the Marshawn Lynch style of just hitting somebody in the face. You mm-hmm. know, the old Ed Reed that played at Miami, Sean Taylor. I mean, those guys, like, those, to your point, those guys were idols. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were it. Now they, they basically sculpted a new era in football through that style of play you know it's funny you mentioned some of those dudes when i had my bar down here on fort lauderdale beach we used to do um uh, pickup game and asphalt style basketball tournaments and um one week we're doing it and um kids from the u show up and uh it was donnell bennett ray lewis um Santana Moss and a kid named Malcolm that actually went to St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, but anyway, they came down and won the basketball tournament. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, yeah. But we got pictures of those guys. And then later on, you know, some of them are in the Hall of Fame. And we're looking at the uh, payroll that was actually out there playing on the street. And could you imagine if someone would have, like, twisted their knee or something back oh then? My How gosh. bad I was just going to say that, like, there's quite a few dollar bills with that group, that names <laughs> that you just dropped. Yeah, and those kids would hang out on Fort Lauderdale Beach, you know, in their, in their off time. And, um, yeah, we'd see them occasionally. But um, it was uh, definitely um, cool to watch, you know, those kids excel. And it's always, you know, makes you kind of, like, proud to be, you know, sure. growing up here and playing football here. No doubt, no doubt, yeah. But i got to tell you, one thing about the Yankee Conference – um, and I'm not sure if it was like that for all the schools. But um, being a small white defensive back, yeah, I had some good speed or whatever. But the Yankee Conference is probably just about right for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, Well, that's that's the thing is like there's a maybe more so now than ever, but there's a spot for everyone. Like there's there's a spot for everyone. Division one, two, three, NAI. I mean, there's all these different leagues and everything now. There's a spot for everyone. If you've got, if if it's something that you want to do, then there's a spot. Yeah. There there will be a spot for you to play. Yeah, but one thing that I noticed making the transition from South Florida to New England is we were actually stepping, taking a step down as far as the way the program actually was. Oh yeah, you know, from going from St. Thomas Aquinas High School to University of Connecticut, I was expecting to take a step up. You know, it was Division One AA, state school, blah, blah, blah. And it really wasn't. And um, I don't know. I think now, in today's day and age, you know, uh, NCAA, even the smaller schools, you know, realized that their programs had to really step up because 
high schools like St. Thomas Aquinas for setting the new bar. No doubt. No, absolutely. There are there are several situations like that where high school programs and very much like St. Thomas Aquinas would whoop up on some college programs. And that's just the way it is. And I think that's the way it'll always be. You do? And it and it depends on I think it depends on obviously the tradition, it depends on the town, it depends on the location. St. Thomas Aquinas ain't going nowhere. People people are always going to love football at that place. Now the the demographic might have, may have changed and it might be a little less popular than than it was in the 80s and 90s maybe, but it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um well, now you know uh, that that high school really, you know, kind of like the town um, that we just went through. I mean, the acceleration of growth that's happened to that high school from the '80s to now, yeah, you know, it's pretty much retardedly insane. I mean, you just don't see that in most most places. I mean, when we went there in the '80s, we had a graduating class of about 180 kids. Out of the 180 kids, um, 40 of them would be on the football team. Yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, the, the school's really big, and um, people come from all over the country to, to place their kids into that school. Um, so it's a lot different. You know, it's bigger. It's more of an institution now. And um, I don't know. It's cool. It's cool to see the pro players on TV. Sure. Knowing that they're, they're from the old program. Oh, no doubt. Uh, there's that, those guys, like, when they – I don't know if they still do it. I don't watch much pro football anymore, but uh, – like Sunday night football, you always remember watching, or Monday night football. Like they introduce themselves before the before the game or as the game's starting, right. and they always say like where they're from or what school they went to or something. I bet you there's a high percentage of guys from Broward County for one, but also St. Thomas Aquinas. Oh yeah. That those guys. I mean, we could go through a list and name them all, but um, yeah, there's there's quite a few. Now, what's your take on the NCAA? Like, do you feel and I don't mean for the superstar all-American types. I mean for the, the, um, like this transfer thing that's happening right now, makes it really clear um, that there's a whole bunch of kids that would get into the NCAA that were absolute superstars that would never see the field if it wasn't for the new rules and the way they were allowed to transfer around. Yeah, leaving the NCAA. Um, and looking back on it now, um, I have like serious issues with the way the NCAA t- treats athletes, even to this day. I don't know if you feel that way. Yeah, th- that's. I feel like this is a hot button issue year after year after year until something's done about it or changed or um, something comes out that says we're not changing it and this is the way it's always going to be. Uh, you know, as far as paying athletes and the way that they're treated has, has drastically changed. Um, but what's cool about it now is very much the, like what you're doing with YouTube and all these different social platforms. There's a move and a push for the NCAA to adopt a policy where student athletes in all sports, male, female, whatever level, Division three to Division one should be able to own their likeness outside of being a student athlete we all own our likeness right. if the local car dealership wanted to do a partnership with us or a sponsorship or something we could do that the biggest thing now is that some of it's happening in california oregon there are there are policies being passed 
to allow students to profit off their likeness. Mm -hmm. So that gives platforms to folks that are in the Division Three level that are you're never going to see on TV, you're never going to hear about, to make money off of being a student athlete by sharing their story and who they are. So the NCAA is getting more lenient or is at least becoming more open to those possibilities, which I am for that. I am not for handing them a paycheck to right. play, right. pay for play. I don't think that that's – that. You, you immediately cease to become an amateur athlete when that happens. Mm -hmm. If you make money on your own through YouTube and your platforms by being a student athlete, that's totally different. Right. Um, so I think the NCAA is moving towards it. It's happening kind of a trickle effect. It's not going to be a cross the board all at once, you know, judge's hammer comes down. Um, but it's happening, and I would love to see that happen across the board where student athletes own their likeness and they're able to do their thing across platforms and, and all that. Um, but I, I think I will forever remain against pay for play because uh, there's got to be a separation from an amateur athlete to a professional athlete. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's always going to be a good bait that the debate pay for play. But I, I think a lot of people don't realize that the restriction that the student athlete, not just football, all the, all the sports, especially division one, I don't, you know, I haven't kept up with them over the years, but I remember um, the guys at UConn. We weren't allowed to have a job and be on scholarship at the same time, so there was some hookup between the coaches um, at Roadway Package Service, and Ro and we knew, or somebody knew somebody at Roadway Package Service. They would pay us to unload um, the trucks, and because we were athletes, and they knew that, you know, we were didn't have the the hours to spend down there. But we were physically capable of unloading a right. truck and about a third of the speed that their workers were, they would pay us by container. So at any time that my roommate and I, and he was from North Miami, um, we'd be dead broke. And one of the ways that we would make money is we'd go unload roadway containers. Yeah. The other way we made money was we would go to New Hampshire and buy beer. Because in New Hampshire, you could buy a case of Budweiser at the time for about $8.99. But in Connecticut, it was about $15 because of state uh, taxes and, um, what do they call it, um, recycling fees and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then also in Connecticut, you weren't allowed to uh, be open after like 6 o'clock. You couldn't sell beer on Sundays. So anyway, we'd take, the, we'd take, we had a Bronco 2 at the time. We'd roll up to the New Hampshire, Massachusetts line go into the state liquor store and just load that little Bronco two up. I mean, dude, we'd have that bumper like bouncing off the friggin' <laughs> off the friggin' turnpike coming home. And we'd take them and leave them outside so they'd stay cold and then uh resell them for about eighteen bucks um a case. Is there was there is that I, I have no idea, but is there's got to be some type of law being broken there. Oh, are you kidding me? We could, we could, I don't know if we would have went to jail being college students and stuff, but we damn sure would have got kicked out of the NCAA. For sure. I mean, not only got kicked out. We, they, so was up. this was this just was this just cases of beer, or is there hard liquor? Or? No, it was just cases of okay. beer. Okay. It was cases of beer, and um, you know, most people weren't old enough to buy beer, so if you didn't have an ID, it'd be like sixteen bucks. So were you selling it to underage? We sell to college anybody students. that needed it. We were in college. Anybody that had money. Right. If they, we were in the athletic dorm. Yeah. You know? So um, it was a pretty cush dorm. But where my window was was the roof top to the, to the dorm. 
So I could open up my window and just stack the cases out there. And nine months out of the year, they were plenty cold, so we didn't need refrigeration. Jeez. So, so the pricing went, it was $16 a case. If you didn't have an ID, it was $18. If you wanted it cold, it was $18. See, so you, you shouldn't have been in college. You're an entrepreneur. You should have been running and starting a business. What were you were? You were already bootlegging. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, that was my attitude going all the way through college. I'm like, Jesus, you know, these coaches are a bunch of morons. All my, all my professors are a bunch of morons. And if they weren't, they'd be making money. Yeah. But, you know, you get older and, you know, you get to see things a little bit more clearly and I don't quite feel that way. But that was the position that we were in in college because we weren't allowed to have jobs. Yeah. And Connecticut was a, one of those colleges where everybody went home on the weekends. Mm. So everybody went home and um, just the athletes that were recruited from out of the state were kind of like in the dorm. And then we all had our little schemes and scams. Right. You know, and uh, the guy who lived next door to me was Cliff Robinson. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, he played, basketball player. Yeah, right? played yeah. in the NBA forever or whatever. And um, um, he was right next door, and uh, he was having to, you know, basically play the same scam. But if you were an athlete at UConn, because we didn't, you know, it wasn't like friggin' Oklahoma where we were getting money under the table and that kind of thing. You had to figure out how to get by. You had to figure out where yeah. you're going to get your next case of beer. Where are you going to be able to buy pizza? How are you going to get to your, the chick that you dig that, you know, is friggin' at Central Connecticut an hour yeah. away? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it was always. Sure. Figuring oh, it out. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so now, I mean, I don't know if it was then. I mean, now there's, uh, there's situations where, like, these these guys and girls, I can't speak to all sports. I just really have experience in the football. But, like, there are stipends now where some of these guys are given stipends and you're given like kind of a kind of an allowance if you want to call it that like if you're going on a away game you're given this much money to buy some food or go out to dinner with your family or something like that so i don't know the details on that how long that's been around or whatever but it's probably a good thing because they're keeping kids from buying and reselling <laughs> cases of beer so uh yeah, it's probably probably <laughs> I, beneficial for. Them. I would not. I would not. Uh, I would not test that theory. I'm sure those <laughs> kids are probably doing that and have a little bit better scams than we ever had. Probably. But, at least I hope so. Probably. <laughs> well, now they can reach. They could probably reach a lot more people than you guys could then too. They just make a post and they reach who knows how many. Yeah. Yeah. No shit, huh? Could you imagine? Well, know, how old are you? Twenty nine. So you had social media. You're in college. Yeah. Yeah. We had. We didn't have cell phones. Yeah, we didn't have beepers until friggin' I was out of college. Do you know what a beeper was? So I, I've seen pictures of a beeper. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So if you had a chick that you were into or whatever, right, and uh, or whatever, you could use it for business or whatever. But anyway, people would your your beeper would beep beep beep, and then somebody's phone number would show up. Then and you'd then, have to go find a phone. Right, you have yeah. to find a phone. Pay phones were big back then. Yeah. The, the mafia down here made more <laughs> money with pay phones than they ever made with liquor, drugs, or anything else. Payphones was the thing to make they, money. Oh, so they made money from the payphones. So, oh, like, they yeah. went and got the coins? I don't know what they did, but they cornered the friggin' payphone market. Yeah, but, yeah, they would get the coins. It was like vending. Jeez. The, the, they, the, the, the mafia down here was into vending. So you cigarettes, like, you know, those old cigarette machines that you'd see in a bar or whatever. Mm -hmm. Music, jukeboxes, that kind of thing. Pool tables, you know, anything you could put quarters in. But where they really made their dough was payphones. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like the little things. Yeah. Well, you didn't think of that That's shit. Wild. You know? And now AT&T and Apple and those guys are making that money. So does that mean AT&T and Verizon is the mafia? 
No. No. Well, maybe. Who knows? Trick. The way that thing works. God knows who's the mafia nowadays. Right. But um. That's crazy. I yeah. didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Pretty kind of cool. Anyway, I'm uh, I'm interested. I I think I'm gonna like, take some time tomorrow and go and see that uh, the game. Yeah, man. We're uh we're at uh what is it? Jo- Joseph C. Carter Park or something there, uh, right here in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, yeah, it'll be awesome, man. Uh, it's cool for the kids. You know, it's cool for the guys to get one. It's either gonna be their last time ever putting pads on, um, or they're gonna get an opportunity to go somewhere and and play for a little bit longer. Very cool. Years ago, we had the Fort Lauderdale Rattlers, which was a semi-pro team here. And that's about all you could do after college, or if you were a good athlete and didn't play in college, you could yeah. get on the uh, Fort Lauderdale Rat- uh, Rattlers. They were very good. Mm. I remember one time they were like three seasons undefeated. And I used to go watch them when I uh, played high school here. And then funny enough, um, when I got done with University of Connecticut, I played for the Miami Knights. Okay. Yeah. Which was the semi-pro team down in Miami. And I played for a couple of years, and I realized I'm going to kill myself if I keep going. But that's all you had after college, right. if anything. Yeah. And um, I think I had more fun playing those last two years with the Miami Knights than I did all through college. Sure. You know, because it was a well, totally different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say mindset of like. Did you care more, or you just knew more about the game, or like how that worked? You played for fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you didn't have a coach um, with the carrot out in front of you. Like, like one of the things that always drives me crazy about the NCAA is the amount of kids that they give scholarships to every year. And um, basically, what happens is, you know, once you become on the team and you somewhat establish your dominance and you earn your starting position. It's constantly like they antagonize you with the new kid. Like, who are going to get better? Right. The next guy is going to be better. Right. Instead of, you know, refining the team and making the team better, it was always about position and the new recruit. You know, well, and it totally, man, that part of it totally took you out of the game. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that the, it, it's got a piece of like, uh, you know, uh, it, like the trading block. Like, you're, you're, uh, you know, like you're trading goods or you're trading material or like you're selling a used boat. Almost. Like it's there's definitely that feel to it for yeah. sure. But I will say that now is like I think it comes from both sides because even now the kids growing up are more individualistic than than they have ever been. Uh, and what I mean by that is like there's less emphasis on tradition like the old remember like Nebraska. I mean, there's like. Guys would go to these schools, Notre Dame, because of the tradition, right? The camaraderie. And now now it's become more individualistic, where yeah. it's, it's about me. It's about what I care about, not much about what is the community, what's cool for the community. And you know, There's still some of that, but I just think it's kind of taking a turn. Well, I think it's going to keep taking that turn because it's now like my kid's going to be 14 this year. She'll be going into college in just three years, and she's going to get advice from somebody that's been through the system and sees it a different way. And, of course, the way I saw it and the way my dad saw it and the way his dad saw it, totally different. Right. Yeah, I mean, so hopefully, um, well, not hopefully. I think we're seeing it now just with the transfer rule with the kids that are actually able to jump around from school to school because they know that they have talent, they know that they have passion for the game, so they can take themselves away from the system as an individual and do something about it. 
where before, you know, you were basically a slave to the NCAA. If you decided to transfer after your sophomore year, you were screwed. Yeah. You know, because your eligibility is over. Right. So, you know, I guess everybody learns to play the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we, we talked about it just this weekend amongst the coaching staff and the players, and it, it's, really a, uh, it's really a Wild West type of feel. And that even, I mean, that's even trickled down into high school into some of the states like Florida here. Florida high schools, you're allowed to play. Like if you played football in the fall, you're allowed to transfer schools in the winter and compete in spring ball at your new school. Right. That is the wild freaking West. And that's huge. It's huge here. And I think it's phenomenal for the kid. Yeah, maybe the organizations and stuff, you know, are going to suffer. And there's going to be some kids that make the wrong decisions. But I think the wrong decisions that you make when you're young refine you to make great decisions when you, as you get older. So hopefully with sports, um, everything kind of leads in that direction. I think that's what the, the best thing of the best thing about sports is that Sometimes it makes you grow up faster than you should, and it might be hard in that initial initial stage, but ultimately it's going to benefit you because to your point where you make those mistakes or you make those decisions or whatever, and then later on you say, okay, it's gotten me to this point, but now also I know I've done that. It's not something I want to do again, or it is something I want to do again. So, yeah, I think that's the one thing I love about sports when I was a player and also being a coach and being around it is that there's so much that you can learn via sport where the the uh the consequence is not very great but you can take the that knowledge that you learned to life where the consequence is great right and now take that knowledge to life so hopefully you're a little bit more prepared yeah yeah now the um yeah i think you hit it right on the head that's the same way i feel the um have you had uh any athletes or do you have any athletes now that you know are going to blossom like their talent level their work ethic or whatever where you just like it's just waiting to happen for that person yeah yeah i mean there's uh and i think it's all it all depends on what the what that means right what that means for each guy is is blossom mean like people are going to know them or blossom mean that they're going to have a good college career or or play overseas for a year and then become a good business person or whatever it is the coolest thing is uh is getting to know who each person is and what they like and what their interest is. But um, as far as like somebody that people might know, I will say the there's this one kid, um, his name's Evan Conley. I haven't, I, I haven't worked with him much at all, but one of the coaches that I coach with has worked with him a, a lot, mm-hmm. but uh, he's kind of in our circle and he's a quarterback, freshman quarterback at Louisville okay. uh, this past season and, and got time and, uh, one week was actually uh, freshman all freshman all ACC, ACC quarterback of the week. Yeah, I think I saw that. So uh, he could be a kid that he's a little undersized, but he could be a kid that you might see on on Sunday someday. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 and then if that does happen, I'm sure you're gonna feel pretty. You know, have some gratification there. We're like, hey, you know, that's. That's part of that. That's where, well, that's where the selfish part of coaching comes in, where it's like you see a kid succeed, and you're like, oh yeah, well, that's because of me. Not, it's not because you had a piece of that. You were a part of that journey. But that is, yeah, that's where a little bit of the selfish part of coaching comes in. That's cool. That's a good story. The um, I want to kind of change, 
change yeah. direction a yeah, little yeah. bit because all right so i know that you're into football and um we met because of uh waypoint tv um bring me to leaving the football arena there and how you got to waypoint yeah yeah because it's, it's a pretty big step away Big contrast yeah, yeah. not very uh doesn't really cross over and, exp- much. and explain yeah, I mean, everybody that's in our on waypoint network knows about waypoint but give them a a, a, a summary so a lot of the audience because we we throw around waypoint and people are like okay what is that and they go online yeah. and they google it and then they can but go ahead and and and, and right talk to me a little bit about that right so uh waypoint is uh waypoint is really um the next uh is like a modern network for really the next generation of outdoors men and women whether it's fishing hunting the weekend warrior um anybody that hiking you know rock climbing anybody that is the the outdoor enthusiast um and, and waypoint is really created um kind of the voice of the outdoors in several different verticals so there's a streaming platform for Mm -hmm. waypoint tv where there's fishing shows and there's hunting shows kind of like a netflix you can get on there and scroll through and watch all these different shows and films and and it's your one-stop shop for outdoor content so that's kind of one piece of it and you can find it on your computer any device you know on apps on your tv and anywhere you know all kinds of places and then the couple other pieces of it is, is like you're a part of, we have the podcast network. So there's the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, mm-hmm. which is uh, a group of outdoor enthusiast podcasters. You, Tom Rowland, The Woman Angler, Foul Front, Captain's Collective, all those people. And so that is bringing people the audible version, right, of the outdoors, um, which obviously podcasting is something that is trending drastically up and is just going to keep going up. Um, and waypoint kind of ties a lot of these things together. There's like blogs and articles and it's really hitting outdoor enthusiasts at all forms of media, gotcha. written, audible streaming on your device as an app on your, uh, on your TV. So it's the one-stop shop for outdoor content. That is the best way to describe what waypoint is. And the coolest thing about it is, is how authentic it is because it's literally coming from the voice of of the people that are out there like yourself coming from the trenches, if you will. Mm. Um, so then it's bringing those to the people who have an office job or have other jobs that would love to be out on the water, would love to be fishing with, with you or, or hunting with someone that's, that's a part of waypoint. And, uh, and it, it, able, it's, it, it creates a community for them to come in and be a part of that content. It's a, um, the way, the way I think about it, um, and how I see the demand for a platform like Waypoint is, um, and kids, God, man, they don't know how lucky they got it nowadays. In order for us to see that type of content, outdoor content, fishing, hunting, we'd have to get up on Saturday morning at like seven o'clock to get like, I don't know, three shows in. And because you were watching those three shows, you were missing the other three shows that were on at seven o'clock on the other channel right so you had to pick and choose and this is before dvr and all that type of stuff um but to have it on the platform the way waypoint has it and then to have the platform where if you spend time on there you can actually feel like you know the person that's either podcasting right or giving you the video or whatever type of content that they're delivering and it's just 
such a nice dynamic compared to what it used to be. Right. Well, no doubt. And I, I think that, I mean, you're just as familiar with this as anyone where you've created video content before podcasting, obviously, because podcasting wasn't popular then. But video content and the folks that are, are making TV shows, you know, like a Tom Rowland Saltwater Experience and things like that, are now podcast is such a much more intimate relationship. Like it's an intimate, intimate experience. So right. guys that see vi your videos of you on the beach catching a tarpon or doing whatever the crazy stuff that you do now in the audible version, in the podcast version, it's like, Oh, I feel like we're buds now. Like, I feel like I'm a part of this guy's circle and this guy's community or this girl's community. Right. So, uh, that's what I think. And when you tie that together with shows and films and written articles and all those different forms of media, putting it all together, you're really getting a very authentic experience. Yeah. Yeah. I've, 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 I've loved it so far since I've, you know, been on the platform simply because, um, I mean, I'm 50 years old. So a lot of people that I hang out with, a lot of people that I talk to, or, you know, same, same age group. And it's so much easier for me to say, go to waypoint, just Google waypoint. Right. You know, and then they get there and then they can click on, you know, the content, um, whether it's my podcast or, a lot of people that I've sent over to Waypoint find something that they didn't know of, which is kind of cool also. Yeah. Because in today's world of social media, you know, you get pulled in so many different directions that, you know, it's it's hard to get through to focus on what you actually like. Sure. Because something's always interrupting you, getting you in, into something else. Now, how did you get to Waypoint? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, one of the guys that, that kind of steers the ship over there, his name's Builder Brock. Um, and we're actually buds. We, uh, we both did a small stint of living in Isla Mirada, um, down in the Florida Keys and our paths crossed down there and became friends. Um, and that was probably, gosh, that was probably four years ago or so. Okay. Uh, and now, all these years later, I've been in and out of coaching and doing some other things. And Builder has been in the trenches building Waypoint and, and making it what it is today. And uh, and we just kind of had an opportunity to, to jump in and be a part of it in a certain capacity. And um, I think it was something that we both agreed that would be pretty cool. And we'd never worked together. So uh, uh, it's been great. It's been awesome. So it was just kind of, uh, hey, let, yeah, let's try it. Let's do it. Okay, so yeah, and and what exactly are your responsibilities at Waypoint? Yeah, so it's it's kind of changed. It's kind of morphed uh, from when I came in originally, um, as the company has really. Um, we're learning as we go. You know, right. we're learning a lot of different things. So really, my my role responsibility right now is is kind of running the podcast network. Um, the Waypoint Outdoor Collective is working with all of our podcasters like yourself and um, making sure that. Uh, we're we're providing value as a network in certain certain areas, and um, you know, looking for partnerships and and um, really just becoming an extension of of you guys, becoming an extension of your voice, um, and and helping your guys' message get out there. All right, cool. I had you on live Facebook there for a little while, nice, so they could check you out. It's um not often you get somebody in the studio that can um let's just say carry the conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, you can definitely tell that, um, you know, you're, you've had some practice and, um, you know, you, you've done some interviews before. And it really helps. It really helps. Like, one of the hardest things about the, um, the fishing dudes that we bring on 
is the poor fishing guys. You know, they're not used to having a microphone in front of their face or a camera in front of their face. So, you know, even that you know that they can let loose and tell some good stories and, and say some things that people, you know, would love. It's hard to pull that out of them sometimes. Sure. Sure. Because either either uh, you're not used to it or for for whatever reason. Yeah. You, some some people get skittish in front of the in front of a mic or, or a camera. Um, but also maybe some of those stories they don't want to share. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Because I, I, I know, I mean, not as well as you, but I know the, the fishing community has got some stories. <laughs> and uh, some of them might not be, be uh, recepted by the public too great. I tell you, it's funny you bring that up because um, there, there's a guy that I interviewed in town. Um, he's been a fisherman on the, fi on the charter boats downtown since the 70s. And uh, I had him in here, and he was one of the guys I was kind of referring to. He's, you know the stories are in there. Yeah. You know his history. You know he's got all the stuff. But anyway, he was bringing up little bits and blurbs about the 80s and what it was like to be in the fishing business and what it was like to do the tournaments with the amount of cocaine that was going around and the late nights and the craziness that went on. And I have it. It's on my hard drive, and I'm editing it, which I don't normally do with any of the recordings. Yeah. For one, I don't want him to come off too crazy. Like where the audience would be like, oh, this guy's full of crap or whatever. Right. But on the other hand is I want to touch base on some of that stuff because, you know, everybody talks, you know, they talk about the outdoors. Oh, it's just good to be outside. It's nice to air, the wilderness, blah, blah, blah. But there's also an inner social circle, especially in the in the fishing business. And then being in a tight area like Fort Lauderdale and the crazy things that have happened here over the years. And, you know, this is where Scarface was made, Cow Cocaine Cowboys. I mean, there's a wild side to South Florida. Oh, no doubt. And there's a wild side to the fishing here in South Florida that um, I want to try to get out of that episode. And maybe not specifically to, the, to this guy that you're referencing, but the wild side to fishing is that it's not – it didn't – it hasn't always been about fishing. There's always been some extracurricular activities, if you will, <laughs> yeah. uh, as you mentioned, Scarface and things like that. Yeah, dude. You know, when I was a kid, that's what uh, I was in high school when the when the Cubans were coming over, and, and um, my next door neighbor, uh, Adolfo Sardinas, was a famous anesthesiologist, and he had his family in Cuba still, so he uh, chartered a sailboat, went from Fort Lauderdale to Cuba, picked up his family and came back. And I was a kid and I was able to not only see that happen, but become friends with his nieces and nephews, which were my age right. at the time. And now looking back at it, I'm like, wow, that was a pretty cool experience that I had no clue that it was even happening at the time. Sure. But that's part of Fort Lauderdale. It's part of oh, yeah. you, know, you know South Florida. Oh, yeah. So have you got to see much of uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale over the years? Yeah, I mean, so so that uh, like I mentioned before, uh, lived in uh, in Isla Mirada for for a brief couple of years, and um, really fell in love with it. And and yeah, I love the Miami area. I I, I love uh, Coconut Grove area. Yeah, it's cool. It's kind there. of a hoity-toity place, but <laughs> it's it's cool. I like that. I love Fort Lauderdale area. The the loop that we just drove along the beach is really cool, really nice. Um, it's. You know, I uh, right before you came and picked me up, I uh, I was on the phone with my girlfriend and I said, um, you know, there's football, fishing, and palm trees. Um, I might not come. 
I might not come back. <laughs> come back. A lot of people so, don't. Yeah. You oh, know? I know. Yeah. A lot of people don't. It I was, can't tell you was, how many people just stay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. So when I came down here, it was literally just a spur of a spur of a decision. I mean, I came down. I, I was uh, I, I was coaching college football, and then the staff got fired, which happens, and, and I left. And, and uh, I literally, I went down to Fiesta Key, down nice. just uh, in Layton, down mm-hmm. in the Keys. Didn't know anything about anything. I had a tent. I had a little grill. Really? And I camped out at Fiesta Key for probably about four days or so, four or five days. I had a bike in, a tr- in my truck, and I biked around the Layton, Layton State Park, I think it's called there, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and was just exploring, just something I've never done before. And it was so crazy. I'd never seen anything like it i've never seen the ocean like that i've never seen palm i mean i I just have never been experienced or i've never never been exposed to anything like that and uh and as i mentioned earlier i said all i ever wanted to do was coach football so i came down there or i went down there and literally probably about two weeks in i got a call from a small school in michigan said come on and coach running backs (laughs) and grand rapids michigan beautiful place but it's michigan yeah so i'm in isla Mirada. And I said no, right? I, this is what I always wanted to do. And I said no, and then I lived in Nyla Murata for three years. So after camping for four days, <laughs> I turned down going to coach at a college in Michigan and lived in Nyla Murata for three years. Yeah, it'll, And that's how it rolled. It, dude, it'll change your mind quick. For, it will. And, and, and it's a natural phenomenon that's happened to so many people, and mostly for the good. It's not for everybody down here. It is not. It is definitely not for everybody. And that's kind of why I asked you, you know, how much, you know, you got to experience it because, um, I don't know, I take people fishing. They come from all over the world and they get just a little taste. And then from that little taste, um, almost all, either one, come back at least to do the fishing or to vacation here at the very minimum. Many end up buying boats and a condo here. You know, and one is a little piece of that lifestyle. Yeah. And um, I don't think that's ever going to end. Yeah. You know, as long as uh, well, I don't want to get into the issues that, that, that we're having, you know, with, with Florida and the waters and stuff here, because I'm confident that, you know, in the next decade or so, we can get that taken care of, which I think the dream of living in paradise or getting a piece of paradise will live on. At least I hope so. Right. I hope so, too. Yeah, I hope so, too. But listen, it was great to have you in for the podcast. I wish you all the luck in the game tomorrow. I'm going to try to uh, come by and and, uh, see some of the football players. Um, Because except for high school, um, I really haven't seen any in a couple years. Yeah, yeah, come on by, man. Really interested in in seeing that. And thanks so much for being on the Real Guy Podcast. I look forward to a long relationship with Waypoint and you, Chet. So best of luck, and thanks for being on the Real Guy Podcast. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Run that dog. Run that dog.